0: Welcome to Oncopharma. I'm your host, John Bazaar, recording this from my office in Mountain Home, Tennessee, at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University. The Gatton College of Pharmacy is a proud supporter of this Oncology Pharmacy podcast. So it's May second. Things are a little slow this week. I was actually able to record two future podcasts, and was going to drop one of them, and then I look in my morning's email, and I see uh, the first publication of CAR T for multiple myeloma, and I think. I talked about this on a previous pod after an ASH or ASCO update, but it's published. So I haven't had a chance to um, unfortunately dig fully into this, but wanted to share some of this because uh, this is something that's probably going to come up in in clinics on rounds uh, if you see myeloma patients, uh, as well as a new um, or an updated approval for one of our targeted therapies. So this was published in uh, the May 1st issue of the New England Journal of Medicine, Anti-BCMA CAR-T Therapy, BB2121. Which sounds like a Star Wars character, uh, in re- relapsed refractory myeloma. And this comes the the lead researchers here are from Mass General in Boston, Sarah Cannon Nashville, Mayo Clinic uh, in Minnesota, and there are some folks from uh, some other places in Boston and Sanfor, uh, Stanford uh, as well. Is a cell gene sponsor study. So, real quick, getting into this uh, BCMA is the target antigen here expressed on myeloma cells. Um, and I won't get into a whole lot of stuff here, but as far as the patients, they had to have at least three lines of treatment, and many of them had more than that. Uh, there was an initial cohort and then a dose expansion cohort, and they kind of changed. Initially, they wanted patients uh, to have at least 50% or more BCMA uh, expression on the, the, the marrow myeloma cells. They changed that in the expansion cohort to allow some in with, with less than 50% BCMA expression. The idea being the more BCMA expression you have, the more antigen expressed, the more likely the drug is going to work. They also amended the protocol so that folks in the dose expansion cohort uh, that they had to have received daratumumab. That's likely a timing issue. So just to to break that down a little bit more, they they studied uh, the first 12 patients uh, w- were just to kind of see uh, you know finding a dose, uh, and then when they found that doses were these higher doses were safe, the dose expansion cohort is is testing uh, this therapy in more and more patients, a higher number of patients at those uh, higher tolerated doses. Uh, BB2121, manufactured by Celgene, uh, using autologous um, peripheral blood mononuclear cells stimulated with antibodies to CD3, CD28, so our uh, T-cell receptor, and then the co-stimulatory molecule uh, or expressor. Uh, The patients received lymphodepletion chemo with fludarabine and cyclophosphamide, uh, they were followed until disease progression. At the point of disease progression, they get passed off to a follow-up study that's going to follow them for at least 15 years, based on some FDA requirements. So what that means is, if this therapy somehow is curative, we should have that data, uh, you know, down the line, going up to 15 years to see how these patients are going to do. So, you know, wait around a decade and a half for that. Um, so moving on to the, to the results here, we have 36 patients total who they enrolled, and. If course, one of the downsides of CAR T therapy is that it takes some time. So three of the patients died. They didn't die, but they did suffer disease progression before they could go on study. So we have a final efficacy result for this, you know, really, basically a phase one study of 33 patients. Um, the median time since diagnosis was five years. So most of these patients had had myeloma for several years. The range was one year to 36 years. There's a patient in a study who had myeloma diagnosed 36 years ago. Uh, I mentioned they had to have had, uh, I think it was, uh, three lines of previous treatment. The median number of previous regimens was seven, with a range of three to 14. Um, They all received, of course, bortezomib and lenalidomide, uh, and 79% also received uh, carfilzomib, pomalidomide, and daritimumab. So, of course, a heavily pre-treated patient population, which you would expect for what is an experimental therapy, not yet FD-approved for myeloma. Uh, As far as further disease burden, 27% had extramedullary disease. Uh, In the final cohort, 70% had a BCMA expression of more than 50%. 64% of these folks were ECOG-1 with 6% ECOG-2, so not exactly the healthiest folks. Uh, and almost all of them, uh, only one patient had not received a prior auto stem cell transplant. Uh, As far as uh, our... Uh, Let's do safety results first since this is a phase one study. Uh, You know, cytokine release syndrome happened in three quarters of patients. That was only grade three in 6% of patients, which is good. Uh, The cytokine release syndrome started early, median onset of two days, and lasted a median duration of five days. Seven of the 33 patients required tocilizumab. Uh, Four patients received glucocorticoids. And uh, the cytokine release syndrome correlated with dose. Uh, So it's more likely to happen at doses above 150 times 10 to 6 CAR T cells. Uh, There's also a higher incidence of C-reactive protein if patients had higher circulating levels of uh, C-reactive protein, uh, TNF-alpha, ferritin at baseline, uh, tumor-associated free light change, and serum BCMA. Now, I don't know certainly not BCMA, but I don't know if other things like c reactive protein, TNF-alpha have correlated with, uh, with cytokine release syndrome with our, our, our CD19-targeted CAR-T therapy. But I'm sure CAR-T experts out there know that. Maybe they'll listen to the podcast and tweet out for us all to hear. Uh, neurologic toxic effects occurred in uh, 42% of patients, uh, with the majority 39% being grade one or grade two. As far as efficacy, Objective response rate, 85%. 85% response rate in a heavily pretreated patient population, uh, you know, is eye-opening, I think. That's pretty big. Um, If you were to do, let's uh, take soft tissue sarcoma, take, uh, you know, take triple negative breast cancer after at least three lines of therapy, a median of seven lines of therapy, uh, you're not going to get an 85% response rate in a phase one study. Um, So, so... So you know, I think eye-opening response rate activity, which is you know maybe the certainly a sign of disease activity, Um, of those patients, 45% of patients had a complete response, um, with some of those being just a complete response, and 36% total having a a complete response with stringent meeting the stringent criteria. Um, Responses like even a very good partial response, any response was only observed at doses above 150. Uh, They started at smaller doses, but 150, 400, and 800 uh, cells um, uh, per million were kind of what they uh, they ended up studying the most. Uh, Responses occurred pretty fast. A median time to first, at least partial response or better, was one month, which is pretty early. Um, And of the 18 patients who were associated or could be evaluated for minimum residual disease status, MRD, uh, 16 of those had a response, and all 16 were MRD-negative. Uh, which sounds really great and we'll see that maybe that's not so great uh, as far as the duration uh, of response. But 85% overall response rate, what would we say? About 40% complete response rate, 45% complete response rate. And then of those who you could evaluate for MRD, most of them were MRD negative. But again, you had to probably do well to be a valuable for MRD. So let's not put all our stock in that. Uh, the median duration of follow-up. So as far is 11.3 months, And uh, about half have had disease progression. So even though 85% uh, had response, uh, 50% have had disease progression so far, including 12 who had a CR and six who had a CR with MRD negative. So uh, certainly we'd like to see everyone get MRD negative, but even some of those have been able to have uh, a disease progression, unfortunately. Uh, There's a a nice uh, kind of progression plot here where we see what's happened. And if you look at uh, say, one year, 12 months as a landmark. There are 11 patients uh, who are alive uh, at uh, the the 12-month mark uh, who received that high dose of 150 uh, cells or the, the, the dose that was shown to have any activity. And of those uh, 11, six have ongoing responses at 12 months of follow-up. Um, and if we look at our progression-free survival curve, the slope of this is going downhill fairly uh, in a linear fashion. Um, With a median PFS of those uh, who had uh, 150 or more times 10 to the 6 CAR T-cells, PFS of those folks right at one year, 11.8 months, fitting with kind of what we looked at just now. Uh, The median PFS at the lower doses was only 2.6 months or almost uh, really. uh, uh, It's not a waterfall plot, but it looks like a waterfall because the PFS curve goes straight down with just kind of, you know, uh, Two censoring time points. So, so uh, obviously, this is a, a dose-dependent relationship, both with efficacy and with, with safety. Um, their um, last thing I'll point out about this, uh, really, really exciting uh, to have this as an option, potentially, uh, and certainly something we should think about in myeloma patients uh, you know, who've gone through three lines of treatment and might be candidates, is is there a CAR-T myeloma therapy at your center or nearby that they could go to? Um, I will mention that uh, 100% manufacturing success is reported in the study. Uh, What I learned from HOPA from talking to colleagues, really former students and former trainees who are now at centers where they do CAR-T, is they have seen – and this is anecdotal – they have seen some manufacturing delays and failures in the real world. So certainly that's always the concern uh, that I've had with CAR-T going big time is the scalability and being able to offer that at as many centers as we would like to – whenever we need it because we do need to be able to get it done pretty quickly when patients are candidates because, as we saw in this study, three of the 36 had disease progression before they could be offered CAR-T treatment. So that's maybe the biggest news from the week. Uh, other big news uh, today, like two hours ago uh, or less, I have a sitenim, but our IDH1 inhibitor was approved in the first-line setting for AML patients uh, having an IDH1 mutation. Um this was a study of 28 to 8 patients, so even smaller than the study we just talked about. They had to be 75 years of age or older or not be a candidate for intensive chemo uh, based on comorbidities. Similar inclusion criteria to what we saw for the approvals for, you say, venetoclax with low-dose ARC or our hypomethylene agent. The median age of these folks was 77 years with a range of 64 to 87, uh, so pretty old. Uh, most of them uh, only 21% had de novo AML. 68% had AML with prior dysplastic changes, uh, and the other remaining had uh, therapy-related AML. Complete response rate, drum roll, 8%. If you add in complete responses that uh, for patients who did not have complete hematologic re- recovery, it's, a, it's a, resp- a complete response rate plus complete response with incomplete hematologic recovery of 12%. And again, uh, incomplete hematologic recovery and a complete response means that. AML goes away, we can't see it, uh, but, you know, your platelet count doesn't ever recover above, say, 50 or, or white count to a similar threshold. Uh, now, so very low response rates for Isidam in the frontline setting. Um, however, uh, of the 12 patients who had a CR or CR with incomplete hematologic recovery, five of those, about 40%, are still on treatment uh, at 20 to 40 months, a total treatment duration. So some of these patients have done very well. Um, so that's surprising. Again, this is a, a single arm study. Um, so, uh, But it, it is an FDA approved option now. For, so for those patients, and Sidnib is, um, uh, this is not published data. So this is the first that we kind of know of this to, to my extent. I don't know that it's been presented at at an annual meeting or anything like that, or a research meeting. But it is FDA approved now uh, in the upline's upfront setting. It was previously approved for IDH1 mutations in the relapsed refractory setting. Uh, So some pretty big updates happening pretty quick, and uh, very pleased uh, that we could get this out to you uh, pretty fast. So in case uh, you listen to this tonight, uh, it comes up tomorrow on rounds, comes up Monday, uh, maybe you will be uh, a little more informed than you were earlier today. And that's the whole point of this. Thank you for listening. Uh, Really appreciate the the feedback uh, from the podcast. If you would be so good as to go to the iTunes and Apple podcast app and give us a five-star rating, drop a review, tell us what you'd like to to hear more about. Uh, You can follow us, uh, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at FarmDitanib, the podcast at onkufarmpod at Twitter, as well as on Instagram. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter, even in car T.